The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Greetings, brothers. Welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Gregoratis. I'm speaking to you from my studio in Los Angeles, California. I've just returned from a trip to Hawaii. It was, without question, the most amazing vacation I have ever had. It was such a blessing and such a gift and uh, made so many things clear to me. I highly recommend if you haven't yet visited Hawaii and you have opportunity to do so, grab it with both hands. Another opportunity is the ability to work with me one-to-one. I am once again taking on private clients, my men's coaching program. It's not for everyone, but if it is for you and you are wanting to improve your health and your relationships and gain more success and mastery and more peace and joy in your life, and you think you're ready, then send me an email, nick at liberationmentor.com, and we'll figure out if I can help you. Let's uh, talk to another man that can help you, who is Mr. Rob White, wonderful human being with a lot of wisdom to share, and he drops some real bombs in this episode. Enjoy. Mr. Rob White, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on. You seem like an incredibly interesting man, and I'm very excited for our discussion. Well, thank you, Nick. Uh, this is exciting for me also. I love this kind of conversation. Yeah, it's, it's going to be cool. So let's start with your, your current book, which, again, I'm so embarrassed. I have all these amazing people on my show with these brilliant books. And I, most of the time, I haven't had a chance to read them because I've got like a huge, long backlog list of books to read, and I'm just not in reading mode at the moment. So maybe you could tell me a little bit more about it and the listeners a little bit more about it. It's called The Maestro Monologue. Well, Nick, The Maestro Monologue took me five years to, to write. It took me 50 years to accumulate what I wrote which was a deep investigation into the nature of being a human being. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it took me five years to write the book. It's my fifth book, and it is my best, best of all best books. And the knowledge in there, the man who wrote it, me, came from a very uh, conservative small mill town, born on the wrong side of the tracks, in a neighborhood fraught with alcohol and arguing and yelling, to becoming an an outrageous, successful entrepreneur, not only in real estate, but then in the restaurant business. And now I am a philosopher and author of Port, and I'm giving back. And in the book, I give back. What I share, Nick, is what the nature of being a human being is vastly more than we anticipate. Most people don't get that there. you are a clearing. A human being isn't a thing. There's no something there. It's a clearing, an empty space, pure space, in which we then create ways of being. And when I'm angry, it isn't I'm angry. That's one way of being I've chosen to be. And when I'm being ambitious and curious, it isn't I am ambitious and curious. That's a way of being. 
See, the power in that, Nick, is you can let go of that which isn't working for you. And you can then repeat those ways of being that do work for you. Mm. But, see, you hear that, but? <laughs> At age two, when you were born, you got that. I mean, there was nothing stopping you. You couldn't talk it. You couldn't intellectualize it. You were it. You were a clearing for anything. You were ready, willing, and able. And then came the terrible twos. That's what my book introduces you to. Important, important, important. Not terrible for your parents, Nick. Terrible for you. The moment you hear your first no, 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 don't do that. Don't pull the cat's tail. Even though it was said for your own well-being, your safety, and out of love, you felt a break from belonging. You felt separate and you felt flawed and it overwhelmed you. But the worst part is you could have got over that. Child psychologists claim that by age five, you heard 60,000 of those no's. And by then you had created an assumptive identity that came from what's wrong with me. And every human being on this planet gets caught up and I call that your unwanted mental and emotional house guest. And he put up camp with the first snow and he entrenched himself in your consciousness by age five. And Nick, no one ever gets rid of the intruder. What you can do is recognize the intruder when it's intruding on you. And you know when it's intruding on you because whenever anything's going wrong in your life and things are always going to go wrong, that's what life is about, it will tell you what's going wrong and it will tell you why you're wrong. Flawed, inadequate, unworthy, uh, inferior. And so we all live with this other being. There's two of us. There's the maestro. That's the I am that I am that I always have been and always will be. And if I pay attention to that, I am that I am. I'm able to orchestrate my future and conduct my daily affairs marvelously. But then there's the intruder. And right now, even with COVID-19, living proof of an entire world where most human beings have been taken over by the intruder. Oh, my God, what's going on? What's wrong with this world? Oh, what's wrong with me? Everything is whining and wailing. Woe is me. That's always. The intruder, Nick. That's mm. what my book's about. Making a distinction between the name of the book, The Maestro, and I give you a monologue in the book that helps you to make this distinction, and the intruder, the other self, the unwanted mental house guest, the false self, the counterfeit self, the great pretender who was so good, he not only convinced me I am me, he convinced the whole world that it is me. <laughs> Fascinating. It brings up a lot of things for me. One of the first ones is I've spoken on my show and to people for several years about what I call the, the little voice, which is, I believe it's my higher self. And I hear it very infrequently. And it speaks in a very, very soft, but very clear and firm voice and gives me instructions. And I've noticed when I listen to that, if I take its advice, I'm it, it invariably leads to positive outcomes. And if I neglect its advice, it invariably leads to negative outcomes. And one of the most difficult things for me has been to differentiate between that voice and what I call the, the monkey mind, the, the chattering of the, the ego, which I think is probably 
analogous to the, the intruder that you speak about. And so I guess what I would ask you is how do you hear the first voice more often and how do you hear the second one less often? So if we use my lingo, uh, that soft voice you call the little voice or the little, actually mm -hmm. it's the higher self, yes. Mm -hmm. That's the maestro. And the intruder is that other harsh voice. How do you listen more easily to the maestro? Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing that no one knows, a secret that very few people know, and now you're going to know. The only way you can gain control over the intruder is own it. It's yours. You own it. It's yours. And if you're willing to get, you're the source of it. And now here's something that's going to sound weird and push against your belief system and be the intruder when the intruder is insisting you be negative and naysaying. Be that way, knowing that you're choosing it. Within one or two minutes, you can choose to silence it and hear the maestro. So very strange, not psychologically something you'd hear in a psych course or anything. In order to be free of that which you don't want to be, first you've got to agree that you are it, you gave it life, and you gave it a lot of prominence in your life. And when it shows up, so when I'm driving down the road, uh, Nick, and somebody cuts me off and almost hits my car, and I pound the steering wheel and say, God darn it, you idiot. I then now continue to rant for another 30 seconds. You're just the biggest jerk in the whole wide world, aren't you? <laughs> and then I say to myself, to the intruder self that has taken me over, I see you in there. I see you. You're good. Oh, God, give you an, an opportunity. You jump right in. Good job. Immediately, I've interrupted the pattern. I've taken the, pushed the stop on the record button that's recording constantly my complaints, giving mm -hmm. me the opportunity to just be silent. And yes, Nick, the thing about the maestro, I love your description. It speaks very gently and quietly. It's not insisting. And it's always right with, with whatever it is suggesting. So. The way to be able to hear the maestro more and more often is first awareness, oh, there's the intruder. Continue to be the intruder long enough so you can take responsibility for it and choose. See, once you choose to be the, the intruder, now you have the power. You can choose not to be. But if you push at it, resist it, deny it, claim it doesn't even exist, it has you lock, stock, and barrel. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely fascinating to me. There's an expression that's quite commonly or probably overused, which is that which you resist persists. And there's another variation of that, which I'm very fond of, which is whatever you declare war upon, you energize. And I think it uh, has an overlap with your work because if you beat yourself up, any parts of you that you don't accept and you declare war on, they just get stronger and manifest um, more powerfully in your life. And it's really learning to accept them and understand that they are a part of you that ultimately allows them to dissolve and allows you to move beyond them. And I think that we're in a, on, on a macro level, on a societal level, I see this, this playing out all the time. You know, like the war on drugs is the example I always use. When the, when the United States declared the war on drugs, I'm not sure of the exact statistic, but drug use went up something like 200% over the next several years because 
they were energizing that instead of looking deeply into why is our population taking substances to change their consciousness? They just said, no, we're declaring war on this. And they, they didn't accept the root of what it was. They didn't address that. And I mean, I just love this idea that, that you just described, which is like embody it, own it. It's mine. When there's that weak part of me or that, that part of me that I don't like, or just take control of it and say, yeah, that's me and, and express it for a few minutes. And then eventually it will dissipate. So I thank you very much for that, Rob. Well, what I like, Nick, is the way you give it back in a way that makes it easier for everyone to understand, because everything you've said so far, I could say to you, I'm being funny now. What did you read my book and you're plagiarizing everything you've said? I've already said in my book. What are you saying it your way for? Well, you see, I think it's been said a thousand and one times. The one thing different that I think I've noticed, I know some very, very successful, powerful people, and I know homeless people in the city. I mean, I literally know their names. And when I give them money walking by, I chat for a minute. And one thing I really get about all human beings that we all have in common, we're all marvelously made and destined to win at whatever we set our minds to. And if we set our minds to losing, we will win at losing and we'll do a remarkable job at winning at losing. And the hmm. energy it takes for a homeless person to be completely homeless with nothing uh, and even to be a drug addict, that same energy had he at some point when he was five or seven or nine been told he could point that to a great life, he would also be a wonderful business a leader and an entrepreneur in, the, in his community. I really do see, Nick, that every one of us is always winning at whatever it is we focus on. And if you say no to drugs, you are focusing on drugs. You are saying yes to drugs. You see, this is where the, the conversation is so simple. It sounds insane to say no to drugs. That means you've got to stare at drugs. I'll tell you why I know this. When I used to be, uh, I was never an alcoholic, but I drank excessively for, on weekends. I was a wild party goer. And someone would put another shot of whiskey in front of me. And I'd say, damn, no, I'm not drinking that. I've had enough. 30 seconds later, I was downing the shot of whiskey. You see, saying no to is saying yes to. Now, had I been who I am now, I, I would have said to myself, oh boy, I feel the intruder telling me, pick that thing up and slug it down. But I caught you, didn't I? So I'll pick it up and I'll look at it. But then I put it down because I have a choice now. I didn't reject the intruder. You can't reject what you reject, you inject in you. What you push at pushes back harder. So you know how this mm -hmm. is so beautiful? Let's say you don't like me. So I'm, uh, I'm there and you're there and you don't like me. And so I put my hands up and you grab my hands to push me away. You have to clutch my hands to push me away. You have now clutched me to push me. You're more attached to me now than you were before. Hmm. That's, that's fascinating. That's yeah. So I, I agree with everything you said. What it brings up for me is this, um, one of my my mentors, he's he's given me this very powerful understanding, which is uh, he says, "A king is he who has made the law iron within himself." And what I've realized is that's referring to will, right? It's when you decide I am not doing something or I am doing something. When you make a commitment, if that is not iron within you, if you have not decided that my word is my bond, then you are not a king, right? You are not you are not a king in life. And I'm just trying to reconcile that with this idea of, uh, I decide, okay, I don't want to drink. 
and someone puts a shot of whiskey in front of me. If I drink that whiskey, I basically have given up my power. I'm not a king. But at the same time, if I resist against it really hard, it's almost as bad. I don't know if it's, this is making sense. I'm, tr- I'm trying to reconcile these two, these two ideas. I, I appreciate any input you might have. Well, you see, what you're saying, and it does make sense, Nick, the opposite is true. Yes, both ways, if you resist it. So first of all, I love what you said. Let's go back to the I and the king and the I and will. Basically, my way of saying it in layman's term is, and I say to most folks, I have a friend who's a very close friend, does very well. He's an accountant and does well, but yet he screws his life up. And I said to him, you want to know why, Kevin? You don't know how to keep your promises to yourself. Hmm. That's your problem. That's that whole iron will. You don't know how to promise yourself something and keep it. So mm. therefore, if you can't keep your promises coming to yourself, and I love you, brother, then how can you possibly keep your promises to anyone else? You can't. Mm. You're going to like this one, Nick. Demosthenes said, I never met a man who was just late. All right? I've never met a man who was just late. Listen to this. Everybody's late because... But have you ever noted the reason for them being late doesn't change that they were late, yet they think the reason is more important than being late. So if I'm late right now, let's say we had this podcast and I show up 10 minutes, oh, geez, you wouldn't believe, Nick. I'm sorry I'm late, but you wouldn't believe when I was coming home and then there was a, a dog ran out. And by the time I'm done with all my reasons, I'm feeling satisfied that the reasons are more important than being late. They're not. I'm late. And Mm. here's the way I'm powerful with that, Nick. Nick, I'm 10 minutes late. I am truly sorry for that. I'm responsible for it. What can I do to clean it up? I say that to you, Nick, and you want to do more business with me. I give you my reasons and you're polite and you let it go. But do you want to do any more business with a person who doesn't care about results, but cares about reasons? I love results. And in order to get the results I want as the maestro, which I am and was born to be, I must be willing to stop listening to all the reasons that the intruder has for me. The intruder is broken. You put it together in childhood moments of fear and pain, feeling broken. For the intruder to continue to exist, it must remain broken or it won't persist. Hence, it has a thousand and one reasons and excuses for everything you do that screws your life up. And Hmm. one thing it can do is have a reason for every promise you break. So that's what your mentor told you and me expounding on it in the way I speak. So that's it. Mm, that's wonderful. It's uh, I don't even want to say it's a belief because it's not, it's a knowing. I have a knowing that everything is connected. There's a, an underlying web of energy that some of us cannot see. Some of us cannot feel. And some of us are lucky enough to be able to see and feel it. I can only feel it and I can see it working in my life. And I think one of the reasons that that energetic web caused our paths to cross and you and I to speak today is uh, I have a very close friend. He's my best friend. I've known him for over 30 years and uh, he's really struggling with many things in his life. Many, many things. He's depressed and he's, he's struggling and I've been trying so hard to help him. I've been so frustrated because 
I know ultimately I can't really help him. He's, he's got to help himself. But funnily enough, he messaged me this morning with a, a little meme, which says, if it is important to you, you will find a way. If not, you'll find an excuse. And I think that really sums up everything you've just described regarding the lateness, right? If it's important to you, you'll find a way to be on time. If not, you'll find an excuse. And ultimately, if you are late due to things beyond your control, the way a man handles it is, as you said, he takes ownership of it and said, I was late. I disrespected you and your time. I apologize. Please give me another chance. As opposed to saying, you know, it was X, Y, Z. So I really, really appreciate that. Well, what I'd like to thank you. What I would like to say regarding your friend, we're going to call, call him Peter. So I here's what I do when Peter and Peter and the likes happen to be in my company. And they say, I'm very depressed and I don't know what to do with that. I'll say to them, okay, on a scale of one to 10 right now, how depressed are you? Well, I'm a six. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get depressed up to an eight. So think about stuff that depresses you so you can get more depressed. Why would I do that? Trust me, go up to an eight. All right, I'm feeling that depressed. All right, I want you to add it up one more to a nine. One big thing that absolutely depresses you about life, about yourself, your wife, whatever it is. Why am I doing this? Go ahead, take it. I'm at a nine. Okay. Did you just fart? And he says, what? No, I didn't <laughs> fart. And I said, where's your depression right now? I mean, right now. And he says, well, only a three. I said, who controlled your depression? Who did that to you? You did that to you. Your conversations with yourself about yourself give you your depression, heighten your depression, and, and lower your depression. Own it. You've got to own. It isn't I am depressed. Listen to me, Nick. We did this right up front. I'm going to say I'm, it to you. I'm again. being depressed. I'm choosing to be a, depressed. I, that's a way of being that mm. I have chosen. It's not me. I'm not depressed. You're not depressed. It's a way of being. If you first start speaking correctly about yourself and say one way of being that I flirt with all the time that has me always feeling crummy is depression. That's a way of being. And I'll show you, as I just showed Peter in your presence, uh, Nick, how to heighten it. And then if I say something funny or take your mind off it, how it plummets immediately. And it's all because it's all up to you. So that's a big one. The other thing I yeah. want to mention before we go on, I love your intelligence. You're expressing it wonderfully. There's a big difference between believing and knowing. For example, I know the intruder exists. I experience it. Everyone knows it if they now know what it's called. Here's something I want to tell you. I don't know that God exists. I think God exists in some form. I don't buy into the human personality that has a scoreboard. But mm -hmm. here's my point to you. I know that oxygen exists. I breathe it in. I know that human beings exist. I interact with them. What I liked about what you are aware of is what is it you believe that you insist you know that just ain't so? Because there's a lot of stuff people are believing right now that they insist they know. And if they look deeper, Nick, it just ain't so. Mm -hmm. And what you believe that you think you know that just ain't so harms you a heck of a lot more than anything else in your life. You like mm -hmm. that one? I do. It's related to something that an insight that I had recently, which, you know, it was, it was very powerful. It was so powerful, in fact, that it caused me to change the tagline of my business, which is, your life is just a story. So make it a great one. 
And it's true. It's all just stories we're telling ourselves, right? And if it is a story, and I really believe that, what collection of stories, a human life is just a collection of stories. And you're the author of that story. I mean, make it a fucking fantastic adventure story. Don't make it a, a story about depression and failure and loss. Now, what I love, uh, I, now I have that in my book about story versus isness. See, first of all, nature doesn't have any compassion. So for, nature doesn't think of good and bad. If nature had compassion, then she wouldn't give us a flood that kills small children. She'd be selective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she doesn't, there's no good and bad nature. They're just the isness. What makes something bad is human beings, when there's an isness, it's pouring so hard, it's, oh, and my ceiling is leaking. This shouldn't be. The minute you say this shouldn't be, you create a story, Nick. Without this shouldn't be, you've got the isness. It's pouring hard and, it's, and, and my ceiling's tripping. With the isness, you can deal with it effectively. The minute you turn it into a story this shouldn't be, you got yourself melodrama on a big old soap opera. Now, yes, Nick, you're right. Nothing has any meaning until you give it meaning, because nature doesn't have any meaning for any of this. That's our fairy tale. Well, for heaven's sakes, as a human being, which is a meaning-making machine. We don't know how not to give meaning to everything. For heaven's sakes, since we don't know how to stop giving meaning to things, give it inspiring meanings. And so that's me taking what you said deeper. We are are meaning-making machines. No other animal on this planet makes as much meaning out of a cloudy day as we do. Uh, A cloudy day is a cloudy day. That's the isness. We, 50% of the people people going to picnics or concerts to the beach, this shouldn't be, here comes the story. Now, what about, wow, it's a cloudy day. What's the possibility here? See, that's where you can turn it around. So someone says, well, what do you do? How do you turn it around? What's the possibility? Immediately, now the story you tell yourself, because you don't know how not to tell yourself a story, is one that's uplifting and inspires you to take action that is productive. I love it. I absolutely love it. So we have veered quite uh, far, far into the abstract. I'd like to speak to you a little bit more about some of the the practical things you've done in the world, because you've done a lot of cool stuff, specifically uh, what you've done in, in business. Now, um, you were successful in both real estate and the restaurant business. I know my dad had restaurants for a while, and I saw what an incredibly difficult uh, business that was. And the story I've actually created around that is that I would I would never get involved in that business because it's it's so hard. And I also have many many successful friends who are successful in real estate specifically. So I'd love to talk to you about those two things. How did you achieve success in both of them? I know the word faith played a role, but I'd love you to tell some of the story. Well, in the Restaurant business, which I had three very outrageously successful restaurants, didn't sell them for humongous profit. Uh, I only had one value. The customer came in here to feel good about themselves. Whether it's a good meal that makes them feel good or incredible service or the wonderful environment I've put here in the restaurant with the music and everything else. They're here to feel good about themselves. And, And that was my prime reason for being an outrageous success. For example, I had a waiter who was six foot five. When he would go over to a table, 
He would get down on his knees so he could look eye to eye. And he would say to the customers, what would you like? Here's the specials. And they all felt so good about themselves. See, if he loomed up over them and looked down and told them, well, then it's like him way up there, big and powerful, me down here sitting small and puny. He got the most incredible tips. I'm giving you a very simple example. Times 5,000. I My job as a restaurateur was to hire people, who good people who could manage and who could cook and all of that and servicing. But my job was to walk around and make sure everybody had a smile on their face. And if they didn't, I would say, hi, I'm Rob. I, I'm the proprietor here. And I'm just curious, is there anything that's going on here? Did uh, I notice you're not having a smile on your face. I'd love to see one. And sometimes they say, oh, God, no. And thank you for caring. Or they say, yeah, you know how long it's been since I put the order in 10 minutes ago. What's going on? I said, I'll find out. There's no reason for that. Is there? So my secret to success in real estate was I loved real estates. I loved them because I went in there to feel good, party, laugh, and come out with a big smile on my face. And I thought, what's so hard about that? Well, I've got news for you, Nick. Nothing was. I never worked hard at the real estate. Oh, I hired people and they worked hard and I paid them plenty and gave them a lot of bonuses. I personally never worked hard in the real estate business because that was my only reason for being in it. That's a pretty good one, isn't it? Yeah, that's great. I, I think I think if you can approach anything with a spirit of fun and joy and excitement, it's your your chances of success are just way higher than if you look go into it with like carrying the heavy load of burden and expectation and, you know, just thinking like, I've got to do this, that, that, that energy is, is uh, it's a handicap. You can, you can still be successful with it, but why make it any harder than it has to be? I guess is the question. Well, my mentors, and I've had many, and I've had some that have been famous like Ram Das, know him personally for years and other folks like that. I knew Tony Robbins before he even uh, just when he was starting out and asked me advice on his first book, and what I noticed about these folks is they really loved what they were getting into. And they just love to talk about it. And, you, and they talk, talk your ear off until three in the morning if you wanted to about what they were up to. Mm -hmm. And people like that, I can tell you as a prophet, they're going to win. Uh, and then there's the others who say, well, you know, it's a lot of work. So in the rest of, in the real estate business, you're going to like this one. First of all, we didn't talk, Nick. I taught for 17 years in the Boston Public Schools. I haven't always lived here. I have homes in the West Coast also now. Uh, in the Boston Public Schools. And after 17 years, three more years, Nick, I could retire at limited retirement, lifetime health plan. After 17 years, I realized I'd been copping out on myself. Yes, teaching's marvelous, and I got a lot of rewards, but I knew I was here for more. The maestro was saying, you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to be rich, you want to have a Ferrari, you want to have a, a home down on the ocean in Cape Cod. You're not getting there with teaching. I never see anyone get there with teaching. I walked into the principal after 17 years in June and said, Dan, I love it here. I love what I'm up to. I'm quitting. What are you, crazy? And my father said, you don't need a psychiatrist. You need a team of psychiatrists. Three more years. <laughs> And my colleagues, what's wrong with you? I walked out the door having faith, having faith in God. No, having faith in life. No, having faith in what? Myself. Yourself. Having yeah. faith in myself. I knew I was up to something and I didn't even know how I was going to get rich. And I was walking down Huntington Avenue, Boston. There's a book right there on the ground, brand new. 
Who doesn't pick up a brand new book? I picked it up, turned it over, and the name of the book was How to Get Rich in Real Estate by Robert Kent. Now, we're talking 40 years ago, Nick, and I that was my calling. I not only knew how I was going to get rich, I then already had my means, my formula. I followed his formula. And from that, I went, you know, East Coast, West Coast development and always loving it, loving it, loving it. Don't ask me about the real estate business or you're not getting out of the house for four more hours. Just like that. Great. It's so interesting because uh, Peter, of whom we were speaking earlier, that is the root of it all. He does not have faith in himself and he's waiting for something outside of himself to save him. My mentor, who I referenced earlier in the conversation, one of his favorite expressions is, no one else is coming. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very fond of repeating that on this podcast. And it's true. At the end of the day, it's, it's going to be you or it's going to be no one, right? Like you've got to step up and, and take control of your life. And, and as I said, write your own story. Well, you know where I, people, I know a lot of Catholics are Christian. They're waiting for Jesus to come again. And my response is Jesus, he, he hasn't come yet. Are you kidding? He's come a hundred billion times. Every time you, a human being is born, there's Jesus. And now I'm sorry if I'm offending any of you Christian folks, but that's Jesus. I mean, that's again, this idea, there's something outside of you that's in control or you've got to pray to. Whenever you place any of your power outside of yourself, you're a victim. Whenever you do, I have faith in myself. I get, if it is to be, here's my favorite quote that I made up. It's in my book. If it is to be, it's up to me. That's all there is to it. My moods, who I meet, what I do, what I'm successful with, even with what I miserably fail at. If it is to be to, for me to miserably fail at this, it's up to me. And man, I'm going to tell you, when you fail, with, you can fail with dignity when you take full responsibility for failing. That's something you don't hear. You have incredible power with your failures when you look at it and say, wow. Did I ever make the wrong moves and blow that one? And then you can ask, what can I learn from this? But you have incredible power with owning your failures, not denying them, not resisting them. That's when the intruder comes in and makes a fool of you by calling you a fool and you buying it. Oh, foolish me, stupid me. Why did I do that? You did what you did because you did it. Forget the rest of your soap opera. What can you learn from it? Big one, huh, huh Nick? Huge. Rob, what a, what a wonderful, wonderful conversation. It far exceeded my expectations. And uh, I, I really learned a lot from you. And it, it also confirmed many things for me, uh, many things that I was thinking about and uh, had stumbled upon. And just hearing you put them in, in different words and using all the wonderful examples that you gave just cemented those in my, in my psyche. I, for one, am definitely going to be reading the Maestro Monologue as soon as possible. If the listeners want to, and I'm sure many of them will, where should they go to find out more about you and, and your books? Um, RobWhiteMedia.com, my website. They'll find a lot of very interesting information, as we just shared. <laughs> and, of course, the books at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever I'll find books are sold. And, Easy. Nick, you were great. And I'll tell you why you were great. You were a listening. You see, I can hear people listening. Most people don't listen. They're waiting for their turn to talk. Mm. Thank you for being a listening, Nick. <laughs> it's my great pleasure. Wow, that far exceeded my expectations. What an awesome human being. And uh, 
it's it's such an interesting thing the way you're just confirming once again many of the things that I've stumbled upon inadvertently over the years many of the little pieces of wisdom that I've been led to either through mentors or books or my own my own inner voice and then to have a guy like Rob White who's clearly very wise and very experienced come along and confirm it tells me I'm on the right track I really hope Peter was listening to that I really really do and gentlemen blessings on you and I'll be back in another week until then keep the faith in yourself you